Well, it certainly was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the Buffalo Bills somehow, after four first-half turnovers, managed to come back in the fourth quarter to claim a 17-16 victory over the New York Jets. They won on the road, their second straight road win over these New York Jets. Josh Allen's first win over Sam Darnold as a professional. And the Bills are 1-0 to start the regular season now on a five-game winning streak if you count the preseason in, in 2019. That is Matthew Fairburn. But somehow they got their crap together after a really bad first half. And here we are. The Bills... The Bills have something to talk about in in terms of might they be a potential wild card contender this year? I mean, they beat a good Jets team today. You need wins like this if you're going to be a playoff team. If you're going to win ten games and you know get one of those wild card spots, you need to find ways to win instead of finding ways to lose. Now, this was. A net positive in that they won, but I think you, there's a lot to worry about uh, with this game. The defense hung really tight, and Josh Allen made enough plays, but it feels like they, they got away with one, that they lucked out a little bit. But that's what you need sometimes, and uh, it's a lot better than the flip side. If Josh Allen doesn't make that throw to John Brown, and they walk out of here with a loss, it's a completely different conversation. So we've talked before about, you know, when setting expectations or thinking about a number of wins or whatever else, how razor thin the margin can be, how close, you know, nine and seven can turn into seven and nine. And it's games like this that the Bills haven't often found ways to win the last few years. They did today. And, you know, that's, that doesn't mean that there's not cause for some major concern in a lot of ways, but there's also plenty of bright spots, and they're one and zero. And going up against a, a worse Giants team next week with a chance to go two and zero on the road to start the season, not not a bad thing. Well, let's start with um, the obvious here, Josh Allen, because th- this is the area that most people either a have an opinion on, or or b they differ in their opinions on him because I mean everyone after that game is going to be like oh defense yeah they were good they were really good uh, in that game so that's that's not really I mean even though it was a huge thing for the Bills because it ended up winning them a game today but it's not really up for debate almost Josh Allen and his performance going from the first three quarters in which I will say his opening drive he was great And then he fumbled the ball, and then it seemed like it all went to hell from there in those first three quarters. But then, for whatever reason, he shook it off in in the fourth quarter, and they were able to actually do some things uh, on the field, which is a huge thing for the Bills, obviously, because while Allen didn't have his fastball, so to speak, in this game uh, early on, he still had that fourth-quarter savvy that a lot of young quarterbacks just simply do not have and you know some 
some people go, well, in some instances with these fourth quarter comebacks, you see a lot of big run game, run gains, and you know that's that's the biggest part of it. But Devin Singletary had his had his gains, but Josh Allen also made some pretty clutch throws down the stretch as well, which leads into some optimism regarding him, which is kind of a microcosm of his career, where he's where he's got these these moments that you cling on to, like this fourth quarter comeback. Um, against the Jets being down a couple of touchdowns or, you know, just randomly throughout the second half of last season, even though the first half of last season was not great. I mean, it, this, this is just what he's been so far, but to his credit, he brushed everything aside from the first three quarters and he got his stuff together. Yeah, I think that's probably the the main reason for optimism is that Failure within a game or over the course of a single game doesn't phase him in a lot of ways. And for him to be able to keep a level head and play the way he did in the second half, which was still not perfect. I mean, he had a lot of turnover-worthy plays. Uh, He got lucky that that one interception in the first half got called back on a – it was a holding, I believe, that – didn't have much to do with the play. And then the Jets dropped an interception down near uh, the goal line um, when he made another careless throw. There were many careless throws, and you don't – you're right, I think, on your point that this is sort of a microcosm of Josh Allen, this game, because it was not a good game, and it was not a good display of quarterbacking by any – pretty much by any measure, especially statistically. Uh, it was bad. In and the first three quarters, you mean? In the first three quarters, yeah, yeah. He got it together in the fourth quarter, but when you look at his game as a whole, it, w- it was bad. And he lucked out on a few. He got some bad luck on a few of those turnovers as well, but he made a few throws that you know kind of saved his day. And you don't want to say that that throw to John Brown erases everything he did before that, but in a in a way it does because they won the game. And you're not going to get away with turning the ball over four times in the first half very often, but they did it today, which is pretty remarkable. Four, you know, four turnovers and a safety, and, and they find a way to, you know, still win this game. Uh, it it kind of boggles the mind in a lot of ways, but like you said, a lot of quarterbacks and quarterbacks we've seen would go into a shell after turning the ball over like that and having things not go their way. And he didn't. And I don't know what level of confidence that inspires in his teammates. It seems that the panic isn't there because of the way he plays late in games. But um, there's also probably in the back of the minds of some fans and and everybody else, you got to wonder what the hell was going on in the first half. And still some of those moments of what the hell is he thinking on this throw or, or whatever. But look, this defense is going to keep them in games, and Josh Allen has the makeup to play well in the fourth quarter. And that combination might be enough to sneak out sneak out some wins. That they Games like today where they had no business winning this football game, uh, you know, they somehow find a way. And, and that's, that's the formula they're going to have to use for much of the season. It's not always going to work, 
But also, I don't think Josh Allen is always going to play as bad as he did in the first three quarters. Thank you for speaking long enough for me to be able to tally Josh Allen's fourth quarter statistics, because that's what I was doing. Uh, And also listening to what you were saying, too. Um, It's almost incredible what he was to what in the first three quarters to what he became in the fourth quarter. Just going through and looking at all his all his plays in the fourth quarter. These were his stats. 8 of 10 for 102 yards, a passing touchdown, 11 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown. Holy hell is that a quarter. Especially when you're up against it, down a couple of touchdowns. Were the Jets playing prevent? Who knows? I, they, they, they would be kind of stupid to be playing prevent at that point in the game. Um, but still, that is a whopper of a quarter in a division game on the road, which is what continues to draw the Bills, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, everybody in that organization. It continues to draw them to Josh Allen because on a lot of those throws, he looked pretty good. And I think the only bad decision I can recall was him just trying to wing it to Devin Singletary and ended up going up for a a negative one. But that throw to John Brown on the touchdown pass, that's a quarterback knowing his receiver. That's a quarterback taking advantage of a back shoulder throw. And a quarterback knowing that he has an advantage against the cornerback there as well. So for him to battle back from, let's see, let me do quick math. He was... 16 of 27 for 152 yards without a touchdown heading into the fourth quarter. Ends up 24 of 37 for 254, a touchdown and two picks. I mean, that is a complete reversal of what you were. And that's why that's why people are going to continue to stay on board with this guy. And they would be right to because if you just, if you can somehow harness what he was in the fourth quarter, and to limit what he was in the first three, then you've got the makings of a pretty good quarterback in the league. But that's the trouble. Can he get there? And that's the question that the Bills are going to have to answer as they go on. I'm about to tickle longtime listeners of the podcast. Are you ready for this? Go on. It's going to take a a moment to get to to the tickling part, but I was reminded of... (laughs) Please don't tickle me verbally. I was reminded of words that Mark Tressman said to me this week uh, when watching this game because he said when coaches and players drive into the building they want to have hope when they know their quarterback is an ice man so to speak where he can make things happen in the toughest of times that changes everything in the locker room that changes everybody everybody now is made to feel that their job is really important because if we can get it to this place he can get it done for us that's what the great ones do right and you want to know who, who we were talking about when, when he said that? Jake Plummer. Wow. He coached Jake Plummer in Jake Plummer's second season. Uh, I say that because we, we gave away the, the, the Jake Plummer jersey, the Cardinals jersey. Mark <laughs> Tressman was coaching Jake Plummer at that time. And there's weird, you know, you, you never want to make too many comparisons, right? Everybody wants to compare quarterbacks and everything else. But there are parts of Jake Plummer to Josh Allen. The yeah. scrambling. Um, the, you know, kind of freelancing nature. Jake Plummer was prone to turnovers. Jake Plummer also got it done in the fourth quarter. He made things happen. And you get the sense that there's some of that in Josh Allen. 
it's not always going to be perfect. And Jake Plummer was not, you know, a Hall of Famer or anything like that. But he was pretty damn good. Um, you know, he carved out a nice career for himself. And I think there's some some parts of that to Josh Allen. And that was what I thought about late in this game because if he can play that way in the fourth quarter, to me that's something that's either in you or it isn't. And you'd like to see a better first three quarters, but it doesn't hurt to play that way late in games when it matters. Like you said, there were a lot of stakes in this game in terms of the division, playing on the road, playing against Sam Darnold, who was drafted higher than he was. There was just a lot a lot that could have gotten to him that didn't. And, you know, that's, that's the encouraging part of this game. Uh, I don't think you're sitting here convinced that the Bills have the guy necessarily, but there, there were some promising signs with the way that he finished that game, given all that was going wrong for them in the first three quarters. Certainly. And, you know, I think this is, this is the type of game that we talk about with Sean McDermott. It seems like they're always, whenever it's, it's a close game, you never can really count out a Sean McDermott coach team. And that's the reputation he's been earning since he's been in the league. I mean, you know, there are, there have been quite a few examples over the course of the last two seasons where the bills just got completely decked in, in, in the game and they were um, blown out. And it happened a lot at the beginning of last year, but slowly, but surely they kept churning out some tight victories and, and they did it again today on the road, mind you. And this is a for as for week one games, this is as big of a statement game as you could have for for the Bills because they're going up against a team that was essentially or that is essentially in the same stage as them. They have built around their second year quarterback. They uh, they have they both have a defense that they feel like is worthy of of uh, doing some things in, in this season. They're both, you know, ideally they want to be first in the AFC East, but considering that it, that it, a non-Patriots team has only won the division once basically since in, since 2000. Um, They've also, was it you and I who were talking about it or somebody else? They've had the best record every year since Brady's been in the league or at least tied for the best record right. in the division. That's and it's it's wild. I mean, and that includes the one year where they didn't have Brady. Right. So now they have Antonio Brown. So like Yikes. I said, yeah, exactly. So like I said, it you would like to you would like the team to go for the division win, but I mean, second in the division is no slouch either because odds are if you are second in the division, you are probably battling for a wild card spot. And as we pointed out with these two similar builds, getting a win in this environment, week one, where the whole crowd is charged up, it seemed like it. the Bills, at least on offense, just didn't have it and to somehow eke out a victory. That's that's a statement win. I, I'm sorry. And I, you know I'm not one to get too high or, or too low on, on, on things, but this is a huge victory for a team coming off ripping down their entire roster last year, looking like they were down and out. And it's like, I think a bunch of us up in the press box were like, well, we've seen this before. 
and we were ready to to write exactly what we have seen so many years before, but they didn't, and that's that's a bit different. It is different. It's you know the like I said at the top, the way they won is the way you have to win sometimes to be a playoff team, and wins like this are important. I, you know, I don't want to take anything away from this win or, you know, kind of lessen the importance of it in too many ways, but we don't, you don't know a lot in week one. And, and that was sort of the theme of our, our first show. For all we know, this is a 5-11 and 11 Jets team. Uh, you know, a, a few years ago, I would have thought that the Bills had just beat an AFC contender in the Colts, and the Colts ended up falling apart. Uh, and as did Rex Ryan's Bills team that year. Not saying, I, I don't think this team is very similar to that one in many ways, but it takes a few weeks for things to kind of settle in in the NFL. And, you know, so much can change week to week. And uh, it, it seems like sometimes it's October or November before you figure out uh, what teams are made of. But like I said, it's a hell of a lot better than being 0-1. Mm-hmm. And... You know, winning that way and winning ugly is is probably going to have to be something this team does. And learning how to do that as a uh, you know a team with an inexperienced quarterback, I think, is a big step uh, in the in the you know building process. Now, the defense is not going to be able to do that every week, and that's you know where trouble could come in, and mm-hmm. that's where the offense was pretty alarming for most of this game and you know certainly some some questionable you know stuff on Brian Dable's end I thought and you know there's there's a lot that they'll want to do better so you don't want to start planning the Super Bowl parade just yet but I got the feeling today that this team is going to be interesting they're Mm -hmm. going to be in the mix and they're going to they're going to make a little bit of noise. How much noise remains to be seen, but the schedule is there for them to win some games. And, you know, winning this one was certainly pivotal. They've got a I would say they have a real shot at getting to 3 and 0. Yeah, I would say that as well. I mean, the Giants and the Bengals are up next, so I mean, that is quite conceivable. Um now, I apologize if I'm incorrect on this, but I, I think if I'm, you know, I just went through it pretty quickly. The, the past two years, and then, of course, this game. In the games that have been decided by nine or fewer points, since Sean McDermott has been a part of the Buffalo Bills, the Bills are now 11-5. and five. That is a damn good record for being in those tight game situations for you know, under double digits. That's, I mean, that that shows quite a bit. Now, there are a bunch of other games where there, there have been blowouts, and that's what happens. But in these tight games, which a lot of these down-the-stretch games end up being, I mean, specifically, at the end of the 2017 season, they rattled off, like, close victory after close victory that helped get them to the playoffs. But these are good signs that the head coach might be right, and that they're really starting to come in their own now that they have some talent around 
the head coach, even at the end of last year. I mean, they put together some victories that they probably shouldn't have with, with the roster that they did. But, you know, that's yeah, – I, I, I would – I would argue that the the six and ten season was with the roster that they had was a bit more impressive than the nine and seven season that they had because of basically vanquishing their entire roster. Um, I don't think that team last year had any business of winning six games, but they did, and I think it's just you know Sean, everyone, we all like to poke fun at the process and all of his growth mindset, uh, all of his slogans but it's sinking into his players and that in itself is is something the fact that this head coach has his team believing in themselves for a third straight year I think in a lot of ways the conversation we just had about Josh Allen applies to Sean McDermott I think he makes a lot of mistakes and there's there are some logical reasons for you know, and logical arguments to say that he's not, you know, a, a top-tier head coach. You know, sometimes with clock management, um, you know, game management at times yeah. as well. Um, decisions that he makes um, that have backfired. Nathan Peterman twice comes to mind. Um, but the key element that he has that not every coach does is that guys really want to play for him. And he gets the most out of the guys that he has. Now, is he always making the best, most logical decisions in terms of, you know, who he's playing or what decisions they're making? I don't know. And honestly, there are some times um, where he leaves me scratching my head a lot. But that factor that's there about the way this team plays for him and loves to play for him and, and how he has the group pulling in the same direction, even in some strange times, is you know definitely a, a quality to lean on and, and something that makes you think you know this guy is is good enough uh, as a head coach and you know that nine and seven season maybe wasn't you know the six and ten season was a, an a impressive coaching job in some ways but also the way that they pulled out of that three game losing streak as a first year head coach with a lot of veterans in that room that could have been pulling in different directions after he made that Nathan Peterman decision to keep that group together and win close games the way they did and get to the playoffs was pretty, pretty impressive. And so there's enough there. Uh, I don't think the guy is perfect by any stretch. Neither do I. I don't, I think the troubling thing in some ways might be that there's not a whole lot of, of evolution in some ways. Uh, Some of the things he gets wrong he seems to get wrong repeatedly, but he certainly has that, you know, I don't know if you want to call it an intangible quality, but that, that leadership and that, that, you know, ability to get guys to rally around him uh, is pretty strong. And, and he's built a group of guys that, you know, all kind of believe that, um, you know, about him and about the guys they're playing for. So, that's encouraging, I, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I, I think it'll keep them in the fight um, and you know keep them in the mix throughout the season, provided that they can stay healthy. So let's discuss the defense a bit and how this um, win came to be. I mean, you, you don't have to know football inside and out to know that this defense essentially stole them that, that win today because – 
the offense allowed as many points as the defense did today. They both allowed eight. You know, the offense, of course, had the pick six and the safety. The defense allowed one touchdown drive and a two-point conversion in which apparently Saran Neal tried to channel his inner Dikembe Mutombo and tried to swat it into the stands. No idea what he was thinking there, but that's – and he mistimed the jump as well. Um, but other than that, I mean, the defense was – basically perfect I mean how many times were their backs against the wall in that first half where they forced I don't know a three and out or um well it would have been only three turnovers that they would have had to had to overcome but still I mean being able to do that uh forcing the forcing the Jets to have to rethink their entire offensive game plan I mean the Jets had nothing going up until the point in which Taron Johnson went out of the game, if you really think about it. I mean, once Saran Neal came in, that's when they started hitting Jamison Crowder a lot in the slot, taking advantage of Saran Neal. And, um, you know, uh, that they were right to because that was a potential weakness. 14 catches for Jamison Crowder for 99 yards. One of those was the four-yard catch with 12 seconds left. So, Still, 14 yeah, catches is yeah. a lot of catches. A lot of catches on 17 targets. They knew that was the matchup to exploit, and they tried to, and he got a lot of key first downs for them. But this defense, like, the pass rush brought it, and that was a question heading into the season. The pass rush was getting back to Sam Darnold today. They were batting down passes. Um, on a critical drive, they, uh, they batted down the first and second down pa- pass play. Uh, down the stretch in the game before the Jets ended up uh, turning the ball over on downs uh, after a third and fourth. So there's a lot that you can say, but I guess if you had to choose one or two guys that kind of stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball, who would you say? I'll say Jerry Hughes uh, for starters. I mean, I think we've always known what Jerry Hughes is. It's just the last couple of years he's been the only one, and so offenses have been able to focus on him. But the way that he played today could be a a preview of what's to come this season. Now that there's, I mean, quite simply, Ed Oliver next to him, I think. I know. I think it might just be as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, looking at his stats, he had a sack and a half, Six and a half quarterback hits, two tackles for loss. I was gonna say, did that say he hasn't? He didn't have an interception. I was like, that was, <laughs> and two passes defended. I mean, the guy was all over the place, and and I think that was encouraging. I think I hesitate to put too much on him before going back and rewatching, but on. On a live look, it seemed like Tremaine Edmonds had a good day as well. A couple of key open field tackles, and uh, Le'Veon Bell had a decent day, but it was he was chipping away at it. He mm-hmm. wasn't making a ton of big plays, and uh, so I would say those two guys were impressive. The whole defensive line, though, and Lorenzo Alexander brought it. There were some that front seven looks legit, and. There were times where it didn't last year, especially as a pass rushing unit. So um, quite a day on that side of the ball for sure. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up Tremaine Edmonds because that's that's the one I wanted to get to because it just seemed like if there was some sort of throw or run 
to the sideline, he was there. And that's the type of reaction instincts that, that they've wanted to see and, quite frankly, that they did see in the final month of the season. And, you know, they they have long thought that this guy was going to pop. Um, and I remember distinctly um, Brandon Bean said, you know, second half of the season is when I really want, you know, he's going to, that's when I think he's going to start hitting. And to Bean's credit, he was right because we, you saw started to see a lot different of a player in the second half of last season. Now with the full off season and everything along those lines, just seemed like he was ready for the challenge of Le'Veon Bell. And that is an encouraging sign. I also think that Ed Oliver had a pretty strong game for his for his first he was in the pocket affecting things multiple times did he have a sack I don't think he did but he did not but I mean he helped create one he helped he create had a quarterback hit he helped create incompletions at key moments of the game and he was in there quite a bit now the only time that they took him out in a in a pivotal situation was on Remember the fourth and like inches to go that Le'Veon Bell barely got. They it cost him because Jordan Phillips well, probably should have had Le'Veon on that play. Yes, he should have, and they put Jordan Phillips in the game for Ed Oliver because of the size issue, and they just wanted bodies, big bodies in there because that's the one thing Ed Oliver does not have. But I would argue, hey, if Jordan Phillips is able to wiggle his way into the backfield, what's Ed Oliver going to be able to do on that play? And then potentially wrap up that tackle because you know he's more athletic to the point in which he can bring down uh, a Le'Veon Bell in that situation. So, I mean, they'll just have to continue to analyze that. But I I thought his first game was fairly strong at first glance. I tried watching him a bunch today, but obviously it's tough too just because you're you're in the the throes of a game. But, yeah, I I, I really quite enjoyed Ed Oliver's day, and I I think he – could be something for this team. I ever since he once he got into the the first team defense at training camp, you started to see what what they saw when they drafted him and the potential that he had at at this position as a three technique defensive tackle. And he just he he hasn't taken off yet, but he had a consistent game pretty much the whole way. So uh, that is an encouraging sign for those two young guys, Tremaine Edmonds and Ed Oliver, two guys that they're going to shape their entire defense around. You would you would think or you would think they hope to, but to see those two guys perform the way they they did was a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a a pretty strong defensive effort, and I think that's really the a, a pretty encouraging sign for this team because we we mentioned you don't really know year to year on that side of the ball um, with the way the rules are and everything else. It's hard to consistently be a top-notch defense, and right now they look better than they have uh, under Sean McDermott in any of the three years, and part of it is because of the play of some of those young players, and that's a uh, that's something that I, I don't. Ed Oliver's only going to get better. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is only going to get better, you would think, as the season goes on. I don't think they're going to play lights out every week because it's just hard to do that uh, in a a league so geared toward offense, but they're going to make it really hard on some of these teams uh, and especially inferior opponents. It seems like they're just going to, they're going to be able to 
to put their foot on their throat and mm-hmm. and kind of suffocate some of these offenses. I mean, I don't think Sam Darnold is bad. Uh, no. I, I mean, he's still got a ways to go before anybody says he's good, too, you know, before anybody claims him to be a legit franchise guy. But I don't think he's bad. Uh, and I think they had a good plan for him today. And, you know, they're going to see worse quarterbacks than Sam Darnold. Um probably each of the next two weeks potentially so um that's that's the part of this that's that's encouraging this wasn't a a a slappy offense they went up against it was a a new offense with an inconsistent offensive line and um you know some new pieces the way they had on their own offense but still some talent and uh you know an encouraging encouraging day outside of like you mentioned whatever the hell saran neal was doing on that two-point conversion (laughs) right exactly and I mean, Saran Neal did make a tackle or two, but I thought he struggled by, by, um, and they better hope Taron Johnson's hamstring injury doesn't keep him out too long because that is a potential weakness for an opposing team, especially with the likes of, I don't know, say Evan Ingram or um, Sterling Shepard coming around that, that can play in the slot area. That's, that's a potential matchup to exploit, but that will be a part of next week. Let's award some awards, shall we? Um, first thing that we have to do, because we are in this building, and the last time we were in this building was the Matt Barkley game. And that is where we brought on the Matt Barkley Award for the biggest surprise in a positive way, um, of the game. So, let's see. I think, yeah, yeah, Matt, Matt Barkley Award. Who you got? We'll switch off so on these by, two. Th- by definition, somebody's got to come out of nowhere, right? To, no, I mean, a, a, su- a surprise. In a manner of speaking, because Matt Barkley kind of came out of nowhere. It was It's hard to come out of nowhere, I guess, when we dissect this roster the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, constantly. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to – this is a tricky one. Give it the old college try. I have one if you don't have one. Well, I have a couple is the problem. Oh, well, now you're just bragging. Part of me wants to go with Josh Allen, honestly. Because okay. that's, that's I think totally the way loud. he, you know, I think Devin Singletary came out of nowhere in the second half after the way that he wasn't used in the first half. I think Tommy Sweeney uh, made a couple of plays that were were interesting. So you're just going to take take all the, the Matt Barkleys? You're not going to allow me to have a Matt Barkley? Do we both do a Matt Barkley? I, think so. I thought we each did a, and then, a one. And then we want... I'm going Josh Allen. Okay. Um, okay. Because the way that he was playing, you know, the, you mentioned the stats in the fourth quarter. It's lights out. It, it, was, it was great. And to me, it came it came out of nowhere in some ways. Yeah. It, it was the way, after the way he played the first three quarters to, to hit on some of those throws... Um, it, it was Matt Barkley-esque, dare I say. <laughs> so I'm going Josh Allen. True to form. Uh, I am going to take someone completely out of nowhere that took me by surprise just based on his usage today. My Matt Barkley award is going to Patrick DeMarco, the fullback, who last year I think had some, I think around like 13% of snaps total. Well, here's one. He had three catches last year. He had two today. Yes. And here's the thing. When the snap count comes out tomorrow morning, on a Monday morning, I should say, based on whenever you guys listen to this, I am fairly certain Patrick DeMarco was 
on the field close to, if not more than, 50% of the snaps. He was out there constantly to start the game. So for him to be that heavily involved in the game plan, and even though he didn't show up on the, the score sheet past the two catches for nine yards, he was pretty critical in the way that he was blocking around in and around the line of scrimmage while they were basically in shotgun for the entire first quarter, and especially on the first drive when they were moving the ball. You know, he, he was out there a, a bunch, so I'll, I'll give it to Patrick DeMarco. All right, now to the not-so-good awards. Um, we've got Dre Archer, the Dre Archer Award for the player that didn't show up at all today, and the Vontae Davis Award to the player that uh, didn't show up in the sec- or the, or whoever didn't show up in the second half. Which one would you like? You know, what's funny is when I was thinking of, you know, which awards we had to hand out. For some reason, I thought there was a Charles Clay Award, but I realized that's just because he so often <laughs> got the Dre Archer Award. Um, it's So it's tricky. Like The guy that didn't show up at all would technically be TJ Yeldon because he didn't do a whole hell of a lot. Two snaps today, um, one of which was the kneel down at the end of the, the first half. But I feel like that's not really the spirit of the award because, you know, a guy getting no snaps is... Not Why the really hell not? His, Why? Not really his Why fault. Why couldn't it be? I'm going to let you have TJ Yeldon. I don't want TJ Yeldon. I'm going Cole Beasley. Ooh. He was certainly there. Uh, that much is sure. Um, he was there in a bad way. Two drops. One resulted in an interception. Not the best throw from Josh Allen. Probably too much heat on it. But for a guy that makes the money Cole Beasley makes, today was a bad day. Five catches, 40 yards on nine targets. He was not the best slot receiver on the field. Uh, That belonged to Jamison Crowder. Very disappointing day from Cole Beasley. Yeah. For the Vontae Davis Award, I've mentioned this guy guy before in the podcast today, but um, Saran Neal, I think, because as soon as he got onto the field, the Jets went after him. And so by definition, I guess that's not disappearing because he was very visible because they visibly attacked him. But the fact that he didn't do anything to stand in front of said attack and then allow just a heinous throw by Sam Darnold to get to the the uh, the receiver for a two-point conversion. I mean, that's grounds for Avante Davis, if if I've ever seen it. And then finally, we have the Come On Darlene Award, which is whatever the hell you want. I'm going to go with... You know, now that knowing what we know you <laughs> about know, the bracket, you know, you've <laughs> got to have one that has staying power. Right. But I really want to give it to whoever the hell is responsible for not getting the ball to Devin Singletary before they did. Maybe it was Brian Dable. Maybe there was something from Sean McDermott. Maybe it was Kelly Skipper. I have no idea. But whoever the hell that was deserves the Come On Darlene Award because that guy was phenomenal in the second half. And they bear, they didn't give him the ball hardly at all. They didn't. He didn't touch the ball in the first half, did he? Mm-mm. He was on the field constantly, and he didn't touch the ball. So I suppose Brian Dable would be the one to blame as the play caller. But, man, he looked great in the second half and should have been involved in the first half, and I really have no idea why he wasn't. That is a strong opening, come on, Darlene. And it just dawned on me that I had already 
told you, my come on, Darlene, without knowing it would be my come on, Darlene. My come on, Darlene award goes to the man in the press box who was in front of me in, in line for the halftime lunch, so to speak, which were chicken tenders and french fries. Very basic, but I believe the, the term you used, Matthew, was satisfying. Indeed. Qu- quite satisfying. I had three and just a small handful of fries. How many chicken chicken tenders Same, did you have? Which I believe was the standard helping. Yes. One serving yes. size. Three. The ma- one. The man in front of me, a weathered journalist, might I add. Don't know who he is, so don't ask. Not the same as ass ripping press. Not the same guy. Thankfully, Before not the people same guy. Jump to that conclusion. Yes, because it was here that ass ripping press box man was established. The guy in front of me, the um, lunch attendant, must have known said person because he had a blank plate and the lunch attendant like doles out the food that you, that you want. And you can tell them, all right, stop or keep it coming. The lunch attendant, even though she had given the standard serving size of three to each person that came up, she knew that the man in front of me needed at least seven, seven chicken tenders, which, by the way, you have a very small window to eat. 15 minutes. That's how long halftime is. I'm sure it probably extended into the second half for for this gentleman. But no, no, was not enough for for my friend. He wanted two more chicken tenders. He said, keep it coming. (laughs) Then got a huge thing, thing of fries as well. I mean, he was feeling it. And but my come on, Darlene, is to him. I mean, you you took three servings of the chicken tenders hey, at halftime. Were, there were plenty of chicken tenders. There were, and so there more were. power to him. He's here for a good time, not a long time. But nine, nine that you consume in a matter of fifteen minutes, and they they were not small. They're not like little dinky ones that you get out of like a a freezer bag. They were they were sizable. Not a not nine a hel- of them. Not a healthy lunch. No, certainly not. All right. I almost. I do have to issue a. Uh, I almost gave the command Arlene to myself, but I feel like I did that too often. It would be very on brand for at, you when we looked at the uh, pod or when we looked at the bracket last year. You did it three times, and I'm not going to give it to myself. But I would like to say to the listeners, as many of you pointed out, that there was a mistake in my research on the fly in the last podcast. <laughs> well, that'll get you. They do have a few more 300-yard passers than I – I think it's 25 instead of 15 since 2000. There were some Tyrod Taylors and Ryan Fitzpatrick sprinkled in that I don't know what I punched in wrong. You pushed the Blaine Gabbert button. I, that, that, that's what it happened. It probably was. And I think, you know, whatever it was, Tyrod Taylor did have one. So our instincts were correct that Fitzpatrick and Tyrod had one. J.P. Lossman that's snuck a, one in there. Oh, um, God. So – but the number is still alarmingly low, and Josh Allen did not hit the uh, mark today. So nobody will be running naked in the streets of Western New York. Well, I guess I shouldn't confidently say that. Um, but <laughs> They might be right now. They, they could be. Who's to say? It won't be warranted. Put it that way. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, so the Bills collect a 17-16 to victory of the New York Jets. They are 1-0 and to start the 2019 season. And they'll be right back at MetLife Stadium this time next week, too, to take on the New York Giants, in which uh, we will be back for that. So, for Matthew Fairburn, 
my name is Joe Biscalia. If you have not yet, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. Our next episode will be uh, the athletic subscriber-only episode that uh, will be popping out on Thursday of this coming week. And then we'll have another free episode on Friday. So be sure, if you haven't yet, jump in as a subscriber um, to uh, to The Athletic and uh, get all the podcasts possible going in, going on this, uh, this season for the Buffalo Bills. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you later in the week. See you then.